hello, hello, and welcome. I'm Nick. I'm Ryan. And this is Late Night Guidance. Today, we are joined by our special guest expert, and you can put that in quotes if you feel like it, Roy. Hello. A little intimidated by that expert uh, quote there. <laughs> I'll be honest. So Roy is of Kotowari.org, also yes. co-host on the My Fair Hunter podcast. You call it a podcast, right? But it's a I, video I call series. it a podcast, yeah. Yeah, that works too. Um, as well as author of the Monster Hunter Beginner's Guide and the follow-up Gunner's Guide. Yes. Among other things, I'm sure. Among other things, yes. I try to stay busy. Keeps keeps the brain young and nimble. Uh, for example, you guys just put out a short visual novel. Is That's it short? True. I only started playing it. It's maybe... I'm a slow reader, so it took me about 45 minutes. Okay. And, so um, if, you're, if you're the skimming type, you might be able to do it in like 20. Uh, I, I, I will say that one photo you posted with the twine window up actually encouraged me to go and start writing something on my own. Ah, really? Yeah. Are you working on a, on a dating sim as well? No. Uh, I mean, yes, if you consider uh, your date to be a slowly unwinding fabric of time and space. Whoa. Mm. That's, that's that's my type right there. Yeah, like really <laughs> ideal woman material. <laughs> Damaged and <laughs> meta extant. That is kind of a, a, a dating sim visual novel thing, isn't it? I don't know what I'm saying here. Um, okay, Roy, we have yes. asked you here to help us. Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, E3, there was a big announcement from Sony that uh, we will be seeing sometime in the near future, Unravel the Adventures of Yarny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then also, there is going to be a Final Fantasy VII remake, at which point there was a four-hour compilation video of people losing their shit to this announcement. Yes, yes that was very entertaining. Um, so, we brought you in to help us answer the question, hmm. why is so much shit lost over this game? Hmm. Uh, because sort of conceptually, I understand Final Fantasy VII as a game that's really important to people, but yeah, I, I should say that I've never completed the game myself. I have played it, hmm. uh, not at the time that it came out, so maybe not in the right, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Context? Context, yeah. To mm. really understand what was going on with it. But I don't understand the fervor. Yeah. Well, um, I think it is a really good example of, like, the right game at the right time kind of thing. Mm. Being, like, the first uh, PlayStation 1 JRPG. Like, the first uh, 3D mm. JRPG. Um, and also kind of right at the cusp of... Uh, console gaming becoming more like mainstream and maybe like blowing up a bit. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I think that made it so that there were a lot of PlayStation ones and a lot of houses and Final Fantasy seven was at the time, you know, it was the, the, if you don't have this game, then fuck you. You're, you're not, you're not using your PlayStation, right? Mm. So everybody bought it and a lot of people played it. And when you compare it to what else was out at the time, at least, Speaking for myself, um, you know, I kind of grew up on Super Nintendo, but I was pretty out of the loop at that time. So I didn't even really know what RPGs were. Mm -hmm. My scope was limited to basically platform games, racing games, uh, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I played them, but to me, there was no real draw to, to come back consistently. So, what I'm getting at is, if your first JRPG was Final Fantasy VII, it's like, it's like just kind of mind-blowing. Because you're going mm. from gaming being this, this thing where it's, okay, yeah, you know, get your vehicle from point A to point B, or get your little man from point A to point B without jumping over everything in the way. It was just vastly different. Like, huge world, a story in which, um, you know... It, it is an imperfect world presented to you. Like, there are um, real problems with the world. Like, you know, not everyone's happy. It's not It's not like Mario-type shit, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? 
Um, how much? Because again, I hadn't played any beforehand, but this was already the seventh Final Fantasy game, and hmm. from what I hear, like even Final Fantasy VI had some real just nasty things happen in it. And true, true. Like I was almost going to say, oh yeah, this was kind of like the first 3D like closest we came to open world. It's a predecessor of Grand Theft Auto Three, but mm-hmm. like I would say. Probably, yeah, in the JRPG world, that's a good equivalent. Yeah, for, for what it was at the time, like, we mm-hmm. didn't have purely open worlds with things to find, but now you did have this thing about, like, yeah, no, we're going to have a field map, and you go to these cities, and there are people to meet and talk to who maybe have, like, storylines across the, the course of the game. And but yeah, even if it wasn't the first game or even the first game in the series to do that, I guess for a lot of people it was their first introduction to those yeah. concepts. Yeah, I think that's why it has such a following yeah when it's put on on a pedestal to the degree that it is not saying that it doesn't have a lot of uh elements that set it apart from other final fantasies or other jrpgs Mm -hmm. in in good ways i'd say can you list any what well so context especially Mm. the idea of the ps1 gave like a brand new install base it was an introduction to 3d for you know a, a, a culture but if we sort of remove it from that context, if we look at it as something like, okay, they're going to remake this game, you know, in 2016 or whenever mm. it's it's going to be done. What is, like, is there any chance for it to stand up as well? If you look at the parts, if you look at the story, if you look at the systems, mm. if you look at, are they going to fix translations? Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be... Something like the first thing on the chopping block is getting a new translation. It'll probably be, I would imagine, a, a whole new script. Yeah, entirely. I, mean, I don't know how much of the like the staff overlaps and everything, but Final Fantasy Tactics got a new translation when it was uh, redone for the PSP, mm. and mm-hmm. that was yeah. like a bad translation that I think was kind of beloved in the same way that some of Final Fantasy VII is as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. this guy are sick and what all. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, there's plenty of examples of how, how the game was not uh, handled well in localization. And apparently it was handled even uh, even like worse in other countries. Mm. Uh, somebody told me recently, and I don't know if this is true, you might want to Google this to double check, but I, I think in the Spanish version of the game, if you went to the party menu, it actually said siesta. Which, <laughs> I, don't, okay. I don't know much about Spanish, but I don't think that's the right word to use there. Actually, I was reading a bit last night because one of the sort of things I hold against this game, really at a stretch, and I completely admit that, is claims that this game was just left unfinished and broken in a lot of places. And one of the issues I heard about it was the original Japanese version. If you put in disc two and started a new game, it would say, please put in disc one, and then instead of the... When you did, instead of the regular intro cutscene, it just played the scene where Aerith gets stabbed. <laughs> so that's, I, that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good way to goof up if you want to be kind of terrible. I don't know. Well, I mean, are there, if you're putting disc two in before disc one, then you're already not really following directions very well. So Yeah, you're not playing the game <laughs> as it's trying to present itself to you. Hey, listen, yeah. this is a three-disc <laughs> game, which... I hold here in my hand. I don't know why I own a copy of this. Yeah, actually, I have a, a PlayStation copy it... as well, and I'm not sure who it belongs to because I did not buy that. <laughs> are they are they greatest hits copies or are they the black bar? Uh, greatest hits. Uh, mine is anyway. Is a black bar copy, which according to the sticker I paid thirteen dollars for. But let me tell you <laughs> this: the only reason I have this is because it was a buy two get one free day at GameStop, and there were two other games I wanted to buy. <laughs> so. Now, honestly, like, we may have been, uh, I don't know, it, I'm not speaking for Nick here, but I don't want to be painted with, like, a, a grr, I'm entirely down on Final Fantasy uh, yeah. brush. Like, honestly, I just haven't played the game, and it, mm. like, you know, to, to completion or anything, and I just don't understand it. And I feel like there's a lot about the game that I sort of half understand that colors my... Uh, understanding of it like to me when i think of final fantasy 7 it makes me think of uh 
it's kind of a weird comparison, but like sort of like Nasuverse things, like Fate Stay Night or Tsukihime, where people take complexity and sort of mistake that for just value. <laughs> hmm. Because like when I think of Final Fantasy VII, I, I just think of all of these half-understood things. It's like, well, okay, you've got your boy Cloud, and actually Cloud is sort of basing himself on this other character, Zack, who is a different guy that you don't meet, but it's important to Cloud that Zack is, and also he's, I don't know, affected by this technology that affects the life stream, and and then uh, just, it just kind of makes my eyes glaze over. But I know that that's my own misunderstandings. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot... I would agree that the story is probably more complex than it needs to be. Mm. But um, I do appreciate just the level of thought that goes into a story where there's, even when you're jumping into the game, it feels like you're experiencing it from the beginning. Mm. But there's so much history before that that's affecting the, the things that are happening. Yeah. And when you come to realize that by the end of the game, you're, re- you're really looking at... Um, all told, from beginning to the when the credits roll, it's 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 a huge span of time and mm. a lot of different uh, elements coming into play. Like for instance, um, uh, you know, like Sephiroth is one of the main enemies in the game, but also he's the uh, uh, he's the Denova's witness, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's like a mm. well, he's. Do you actually want me to explain what he is? Or He was a guy, but then he was influenced by a space thing that may have been his mother. No, yeah, he was... Uh, or something. He was, like, a genetically created super soldier whose mother was one of the terracotta women from Axiom Verge, who was also a meteorite. Terracotta? Yeah, more or less, more or less, yeah. <laughs> like, I win! <laughs> Um, but, but anyway, so he is an enemy, right? And the other enemy is this corp, this evil corporation that created him. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's like, I like to see that cause and effect, right? Like you have this evil corporation and they're draining the the world's resources and stuff. And it's like, okay, that could have been the bad guy for Mm -hmm. a game. Any other game, they'd be happy. Okay. This is our, our bad guy. But to show that kind of like this, this is why they're bad. They create things like this they find um you know they found this ancient evil that was sealed away by like the only people that gave a shit about the planet Mm -hmm. and then they started trying to say like okay how far can we take this this evil substance like let's let's just start start putting it into people let's put it into animals you know this was obviously sealed away for a good reason how can we exploit it to our benefit (laughs) right right so it's you know I appreciate the just the the levels there, and I don't think you're right that it is complex, but I do think that that's another reason why the game was the right game at the right time, because, it's, and again speaking for myself, mm-hmm. games that came out around this time really didn't have that level of depth, and I think part of why the game could be so deep also has to do with, and this is one of the the qualities that I think set it apart from all the Final Fantasies at least up until seven was it took place in a fairly modern setting, like mm-hmm. a, a very relatable world and w- that had a lot of the same technologies that we have. Yeah, there were cars and snowboards and things. Cars, snowboards. I mean, they, they had a, you know, a space program. Mm. Shinra had a space program. Like, uh, the fact that they're using, like, you know, genetic information to create living things, that's, that's all believable and relatable, mm. but taken just a step further. Yeah, and there had always been, like, sort of fringy technological elements in Final Fantasy games. Like, Final Fantasy IV, which was my first one, had, like, you know, strange underground towers that were very high-tech and, like, relics from this moon civilization, like a space Mm -hmm. whale spaceship. But it was all very grounded in sort of the fantasy setting. And I guess here it was, like, a believable, breathing world. Yeah, and that's what I think made it a little more acceptable to me, too, and maybe other people. Because, um, you know, even now I have a hard time playing fantasy games that just feel like, okay, there's kings and queens running around and there's mm-hmm. wars and here's your sword and your cape. Like, uh, I think that's, at least when I was first getting into Final Fantasy VII, if, I, if it had that kind of uh, packaging, I probably would have been like, oh, that's stupid, I don't want to play that. Mm. Yeah, I, I know that's definitely one of the reasons why this was... 
I looked at it and said, okay, if there's going to be a JRPG I get into, this is probably going to be it, is because of that setting. Mm. But it, it, it always struck me, for the amount that I played of it, sort of I saw that there was going to be a lot of backstory to all of these characters, but don't know where it was because you talk about you talk about the characters and everyone has a lot of reverence for these characters and you have your favorites and you say oh when you understand his backstory he's a deep character and there's reasons for this and interconnections but i don't know where that is in the game basically well how about how about we work off of an example like give me a character and we'll see where we can um well so that's the thing like <laughs> you well, don't like, remember any characters? I know the characters' names. Uh, okay. There's uh, the Red Dog. Yep. There's uh, Cloud's Buster Sword. He's a character. Yep. Uh, there's Sidhartha? Is that? Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> you got Sid and Cloud and Eris and Yuffie and Barrett and all them. I know Vincent's a character. Yep. And Vincent's a character. <sighs> Okay, can we talk about Vincent? I think Vincent's sure. kind of the thing because, um, so the reason I know about Vincent is one because of fangirls, like one of the first instances of fangirls I ever found was around Vincent, um, and two, yeah, a lot of people like the dark brooding uh, vampiric dude. Obviously, as yeah. other popular mediums have been working with that trope for a while and he had that sort of like mid-90s anime red coat right oh yeah anime red true, coat true um and two dirge of cerebus is the only final <laughs> fantasy game i've actually completed um, oh, that's terrible that makes me sad for you <laughs> okay but i really liked it because i like building gun games it's like, <laughs> um but so so vincent we're talking about vincent so like after <laughs> After I beat Dirge of Cerevis, I actually did go back and say, okay, I know a little bit more about him, but this is like a side story. This is your, you know, chain of memories, whatever. Where is, what is it about him that people always love? So I went, I played enough of Final Fantasy VII. To, like I said, okay, no, I'm going, I'm getting him. And he's someone who is basically an entirely optional character who you have to do yep. some ridiculous bullcrap to even get into your party. And when uh, I got him, he kind of just showed up and he was like, Oh yeah. Hey, what's up? I'm here now. And then the game just goes on. And I mm, didn't, I just did that recently. And it, that, that's not how it happens. It's more like he, you find him and you realize that you both have similar goals and that, um, Shinra is an goal. asshole, right? Well, you're going after like like that's a, uh, that's a okay, and you know he knows that because you're going after Sephiroth, you're going to encounter Hojo, who's mm -hmm. like the person he wants revenge on. Mm. It's it's the person who like kind of kind of um, wasn't he like the mad scientist who sort of made him come to be like isn't he also sort of like a super soldier project, but that couldn't be mind controlled uh, or something is is. Vincent, a super soldier thing, you mean? Or, like, not like a super Hoda. soldier, but, like, an experiment towards that end? Yeah, okay, so... <laughs> so what happened was, um... Hojo took this woman who worked for Shinra as well. I think she was a Turk. And, um... Vincent was in love with her. And... At the time, Hojo wanted to try one more... He had one more idea for how to create these super soldier things because it wasn't working. The, the, I don't know, the, the, the DNA wasn't taking. I don't actually know the, the law behind it. But anyway, he was like, why don't we do it in, a, in an unborn baby? So he gets this woman pregnant and he puts Genova cells into the fetus or whatever. And ultimately, this is Sephiroth, by the way. Mm -hmm. But in the process the woman dies in childbirth. And so this is uh, this is like two terrible things, basically, that Hojo has done to yeah. Vincent's uh, loved one. So that's why he's on this. Like, he, more than any other character, really, he's got, like, a revenge story. Like, that's, that's his only objective. Mm. Doesn't that also, like... I thought you encounter Hojo with Vincent, like, 
around that same time. Like, um, or I don't. When, when is it that you get Red Thirteen? I thought he shows up with Hojo. Red Thirteen is um, when you get to Cosmo Canyon, which is actually just before you first get to Cloud's hometown. Hmm. But um, it isn't a while until uh, Hojo and Vincent face off. I want to say it's like end of disc one, maybe even start of disc two. Mm. Okay. But uh, so that's pretty much, I mean, that's the long and short of his story. He is being an optional character. I think, you know, he doesn't have a really long backstory. And I want to point out too, that Final Fantasy seven is the last Final Fantasy to do optional yeah, characters. Yeah, to have optional characters. Oh, I, never which put I think it's cool. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so, the JRPG that I did actually play through and complete around that time was Chrono Cross, so uh. don't come talking to me about optional characters. <laughs> you want to hang out with Fun Guy and Nikki and, uh, let me pull three more. No, I don't got it. Yeah, I played that game. I remember uh, looking at a guide and realizing that I had lost out on accessing three characters because I said, I told somebody that I wanted them to be on my team early in the game. Yeah. So, heck that game. Um, I think we kind of got bogged down into specifics there, but it made me think of sort of a, a greater uh, question sort of regarding the characters and the storytelling in the game. It made me kind mm. of think of something that I praised the recent Mad Max movie for, in that it's not afraid to show you a weird thing and feel mm. like it necessarily has to explain it entirely to you. Mm. You know, it's yeah. it's sort of confident to just show you you know, this is a thing or a person that exists in this world. And I do think that that's something that Westerners tend to cling to a little bit more than uh, at least Japanese creators. Mm -hmm. I think they're more about, and I I realized this uh, while playing Kingdom Hearts, actually, that (laughs) it's more about uh, eliciting some kind of emotional reaction Mm -hmm. than it is making perfect, airtight, logical sense. Mm. Because, I mean... It, we basically live in a world that that does that, so it's not always the most fun to constantly have that be your reality. Mm. So, so to me, that's why I'm able to enjoy Kingdom Hearts. I'm like, oh, I know what this character is feeling. I don't necessarily understand the logic behind it, but yeah, it's more about the feelings that that it gives you. Mm. Hmm. But in the case of uh... Kingdom Hearts, and also Final Fantasy VII, you have all of these side games, which, again, I don't have a lot of experience with, but the, like, what I've heard from people is that they are the games that, like, you you need to play them to have the full understanding of, you know, what was actually going on and what's actually going on in the new one. Like, when that that trailer was shown of the the new Kingdom Hearts game... I saw a lot of people saying, well, wait, who are these two characters? And the response was, well, if you had played the side game on the DS, then Mm. you would know clearly that this is a younger form of the villain from that game. (laughs) How does, how do the, how do the Final Fantasy side games sort of fit into the, uh, you know, fit in with Final Fantasy VII sort of like Uh, in the sense of, of narrative completeness? I, well, I played... What with the Dirge of Cerberus and there's Crisis uh, Core, Crisis Core, yeah. I Decidia, Decidia doesn't really count. Yeah, it's that's... kind of its own. Was that the fighting game? That's the fighting game. It's okay, just sort mm. of huge mashup one. All right. And then there's also Advent Children, but yeah. I really personally, <laughs> I would say just seven is the only thing that I consider being canon. The other ones are just kind of cash grabs because they all they all happened well after Final Fantasy seven, right? Uh, yeah. Well, Crisis Core is a prequel. Yeah, I, I just mean like created in, and released. Oh, yeah, when they were oh, created yes. and released, like yeah, none of them yeah, were that... none of them were envisioned as like actual companion pieces to the game at the time. No, mm. no, and I, I would say like you know I, I wouldn't tell anybody that they need to play those games to appreciate the the whole story. Mm. The only reason I know as much as I do about Vincent is because <laughs> of Dirge of Cerebus. Um That's why I know that that nice lady is trapped in a crystal forever. Well, if you want to consider that canon. I mean, it kind of fits. I forget why you're going around with a gun in that game if Hojo was beaten seven. But I think you're like working like private security, but only on the full moon. I don't know. That's what... <laughs> 
Now, when you say on the full moon, do you mean on nights when the full moon is out or that you are on the moon? I wish it was the second one. Because I understand that Shinra has a space program. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm interested in, in knowing more about that, honestly. Yeah. So, um... that, was, that was where Sid was uh, employed. Ah, that makes sense. He's, right? he's the, the sky captain in the world of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I'm, I know I still have this problem because this sounds like it's a game that is about the backstory of mm-hmm. a lot of characters. It's about going in, like, the game starts in medias res where you're working with this terrorist organization to blow up a reactor in the middle of a highly populated city. And you don't know Jack about why any of that. Um, so, and that's where I know I get lost by a lot of games because even though the story of what has happened and what has led up to this point is really interesting. A lot of times what that means is you sacrifice current day present time narrative so you know the the narrative of the game can end up being oh hey we met this guy and learned his backstory and then we met this guy and learned his backstory and then we met this guy and learned his backstory and it's not till disc three where we start actually wrapping up plot lines doing things doing things basically so like like in just sort of grand strokes the game seems to be about like hey Everyone hates Shinra. We all got our reasons. Let's go do something about them. Also, I guess we got to stop Sephiroth because he's going to do the worst thing. But he's a product of Shinra, so fuck those guys still. Like, is that wrong? Is there just a lot of things I missed? Wait, so you're saying that you feel like the character stories are, like, front-loaded, so they they just unload it on you early, and then... Their, their reasoning for doing stuff kind of tapers off? Not, not that they unload it early, but, like, if you just, like... Like, imagine a version of the game that's cut down and just, like, mm. strips out all of the flashbacks and just, like, puts that in, like, the story section of the manual. So, like, just imagine the game is just, like... He, like, we start at the beginning and we just, like, list plot points as what do the characters do from beginning to the end. Where it's not like, and just like, anytime you learn about a backstory, it's just, and we learn about his backstory. Like, what is the things that happen? You go snowboarding, you visit a casino, there's chocobo races? You cross-dress at one point. Those are all great things, though. So they're great, they're they're great things. But, like, you know, when you put together that list... Like the birth of Sephiroth as like a super soldier with moon DNA isn't a thing that you do. It's a thing that you learn. It's a difference between what you learn and what you do. And I know I'm always somebody who, if what you do isn't as interesting as what you learn, I don't, I, I can't get into it. Nick's like, very I, much into the strengths of games versus the strengths of like movies and things like that. Yes. Uh, see, I think, and I'm not sure I totally see what the issue is. Maybe it's just because, to me, I'm, like, the opposite. Like, I like when there's, like, a, a wealth of things to do. Especially because, like, I basically played this game on repeat for, like, my entire adolescence. Mm. So, the fact that there was so many things to do besides go after Sephiroth, I found that to be, like, amazing. Especially because it was... It was uh, wasn't just like this one level. Like they could have made, hey, um, you know, you can race chocobos if you want. But instead, they were like, hey, no, you actually have to catch the chocobos, and then you have to put them in a stable, and then you have to mate them, and then oh, if you want a certain color chocobo, you have to mate them from certain parts of the world. Like to me, that was just there were all those levels, and I was able to really just like dive in, and it was fucking amazing because I had all this fucking time on my hands, mm. which I don't now, but it was great. So, but but it's it's that point like that does actually sound awesome. Like I would love if like it, but so like if they came out and said, "Hey, we're making Sonic Adventure three, and it's all Chow raising." Like that would be sort of like be the, sort of like well, so like that's if that's what like some of the fun and cool parts were. 
why is it that people went crazy over, you know, a highly rendered version of Sephiroth's back against fire? Like, well, because the game's the whole package. It's not just, you know, Chocobo yeah. racing. It's not just snowboarding. Like, it's what... not just a card game. But, but Are so... you saying that it's at a certain point you're, you're adding too much to a game? At, at a certain point, I hear two different stories of this game. There's the game that people played where there's like a bunch of stuff going on and it's kind of wacky and it's kind of fun and it's like a wacky adventure with your friends. And then there's like the game that everybody somehow remembers, which is super soldiers and world forces and deep revenge filled backstories. Like See, I, I don't, I don't know if I, that's... whenever I hear about this game, I get one or both of those stories and I've never seen the part where they are the same game. They like, it's such different tales and playing it. I kind of got neither. Um, well, I mean, to me, I think the game is, is a, can be appreciated for both aspects. Like, uh, on the one hand, when, you know, the remake was announced, my Twitter feed was filled with people being like, are we going to see cloud in a dress? I can't wait to see cloud in a dress in HD. Mm-hmm. Like that was the first thing before anyone was like talking about Sephiroth or, or, you know, flames or super soldiers. That's the first thing that people want to see, because I think they do remember the zaniness of the game. And it was somehow, I think able to kind of balance the zaniness with the relatively serious things that were going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, is, is it, is it just front loaded with zaniness? Is that the issue? Cause if, if that's the case, that explains everything. That's why I played some and I only know zany. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it like, even within the first few hours of the game, uh, you know, there's a part where the evil organization you're going up against uh, wants to get revenge for, you know, you blowing up a reactor. So they drop a huge part of the city onto this area of the slums where a bunch of poor people live and they kill like thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, all they because they're... the city. And, and so like things like that, I think, definitely keep the tone serious. Mm even while you've got cloud and address. But people remember both of those things. Hmm. Although I guess you don't remember the <laughs> the plate part. No, I, I do remember them dropping the city. I, I don't know. For me, maybe just like it's a cl- like almost an early version of sort of the Mass Effect problem of like, hey, the entire world is in trouble. All of this terrible stuff is uh, happening. Let's go deal with uh, this friendly dispute on this planet. It's like, hmm. don't we have this big, terrible thing? Like, Well, that's that's a problem so many games have, you know, yeah, I think tried to work with that issue of pacing where the player is, you know, free and encouraged to do all this side stuff, but they still have to right. try to maintain the urgency mm-hmm. of, right. you know, the, I, the true path or whatever. And those kind of games, like, it always feels bad when the game then takes that freedom away from you. It's like, oh, well, it's Sephiroth time. You can't go gamble. You can't race Chocobos or ride your snowboard anymore. Yeah, that was what happened towards the end of uh, Final Fantasy VIII, actually. There was this event where it's like, suddenly you're in this different version of the world with compressed time or something. And it's like, you can't go into towns anymore. You can't play card games with anyone. You can't do all of this side stuff that you, you know, got used to doing. Now it's just like, okay, get down to business. Go kill the sorceress. And people hated that part of the game. I mean, yeah, once you put it in, you got to be like, this is the world of the game. Because you set up a world and then you tell a story in it, and that's fine. Um, I mean, that's again, I'm not, I'm not trying to come out and say that, you know, oh, a clash of tones kills the games. It's just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's just very weird that they were able to mix it. And yeah. somehow, like, that mix just causes such huge reactions. I, I guess... Because there is such a mix, that means there's a lot of ways to approach the game and have something that really gets to you, something that you can mm. really get a grip on and, right. and enjoy. Like, like the you know the you know how the that image of the smiling face and the frowning face, mm-hmm. like the, the symbol of drama. Yeah, yeah, I the think tragedy that, that is and comedy. The, right, that's like the key to making a memorable uh, story. I think mm. is you have to have both, and being able to balance them is is a challenge and. I don't know, I think I think they more or less succeeded. Yeah, like imagining Final Fantasy VII with no levity, 
like just as this completely oh, told God. straight story of like this you have advent children yeah this this ex super soldier who's been like tampered with by this evil corporation that goes rogue and becomes a terrorist against the corporate controlled state like it it quickly becomes so grim that mm-hmm. I wouldn't really want to experience that same same that sounds awful when you put it that way, but then, yeah, how would you explain it so that it it doesn't feel so heavy, you know well. Mm. Isn't that kind of what they did by, you know, revealing backstory over time? Because when you, when you talk about this game in sort of broad strokes, you do get stuff like ramp, raging super soldier whose mom is a meteorite. And that is a silly thing to say. <laughs> just if, if that's the way that you introduce it up front, you're like, oh, okay, so this is just going to be ridiculous. And then you're just like, well, actually, no, we explain this and here's the emotions and here's why it's deep and what's going on. And you're just like, oh, okay. <clears throat> And maybe that's the part that takes time. Maybe that's the part that you learn piecemeal over the entire game. I mean, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's mm. why if you've played part of it, you remember the wacky. But if you've played the entire thing, you remember the deep. Yeah, I would say so. The deep is only a holistic experience. Well, I mean, I didn't get to the part of the game where you one of your party members is a guy in a, in a Moogle suit. No. That happens. Isn't that pretty late in the game? Or is it just an optional guy that I missed out on? Isn't that this no, one that's, content? No, uh, that's when you first get to the gold saucer. Oh. And you go on dates with everybody. You go on dates with everybody. See, that's another thing I like. They're the first, uh, I believe, I want to say, first JRPG that was like, you know what, let's just throw some dating sim in here. Let's, let's, they actually have like you know affection values for different characters based yeah, on yeah. decisions you make. Wait, really? Yeah, I did not know that stuff. Was Couldn't in there. you like go out on a date with Barrett in like sailor uniforms? You can't. Well, I don't know about the sailor uniform, but you can go out on a date with Barrett. It's very difficult. You have to basically be an asshole to every girl in the game. Mm. Huh. Yeah, I was gonna but say it's doable. I was gonna say that one thing that people may have been uh, like attracted to with this game is that while it may not have always been like the most respectful. Uh, portrayal, like, there are a fair bit of queer elements in the game that I think might have been, like, may have been eye-opening for kids, like, at that time. Mm, other than, like, what are you thinking about other than the, the cross-dressing part? Um, I mean, like, like, a, maybe I'm misremembering parts of the game, but, like, yeah, don't you, like, infiltrate a drag bar, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, oh, yeah, that's where you, um... Uh, have the weird flashback, and then there's, like, all the muscly dudes. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That's another scene I remember people on Twitter looking forward to seeing. Uh, yeah, that's been so it's like, one of my favorite things in, in the aftermath of that uh, reveal, is just people, like, pointing to, like, things like that, and some of the more gonzo mm-hmm. enemy designs, like Hell House, right, and saying, right. I can't wait to see this in high def. You know what's crazy? Nomura did the monster designs in that game. Mm-hmm. I think it was before he, like, totally lost his shit or something. Mm. It, it was, like, the right balance of, like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before without being, like, okay, someone should have taken your pen away, like, <laughs> yesterday. Because, like, some of them were really serious. Like, this is just, like, a, you know, a foot soldier of the Shinra Corporation. That That is an <laughs> enemy. This is a house on chicken legs with a weird scythe <laughs> and a gun. Yep. That's an enemy. And there's, like, this guy in the Shinra mansion who's, like, he, he's hanging from a scythe that swings on the ceiling and he could just fall off the scythe and just like try to get on, try to get like <laughs> pull himself back up and you can just keep attacking him while he's doing that. And like who comes up with that shit? <laughs> huh. So yeah, enemy does. I think the music's really great too. And yeah. I think, uh, because it's so good and because at least to me, the game has these pretty emotional moments. You start to mm. relate those moments to certain songs and then it becomes like, you just hear them, and you're like, oh, damn, it's all coming back, you know? I, I still have some of those, uh, what's the word? They're almost like post-hypnotic suggestions, like those sort of instant emotional responses to music, to, like, the music mm. from uh, 4 and 6, which mm, were my, yes. like, first game, first Final Fantasies. Nick, you have a thoughtful look on yeah. your face. I think I'm actually, like, satisfied with my question. Yeah? It's, I don't think this has ever happened before, especially talking about, like, a game that I don't like for some reason. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I've never seen this before, Roy. You are some but, kind of magician. But what? What? No, just just that idea that like 
when people are talking about Final Fantasy VII <laughs> as like this deep emotional story, that's the holistic experience. When you look back, it is that because you learn little pieces throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. But when you like have it in your hands and you're playing it, you're infiltrating drag bars and going on dates <laughs> and snowboarding. And it's like they are very different experiences. One only exists in hindsight. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yes. Huh. It's maybe like some kind of... I think we're getting like into some philosophical stuff here about... Uh, good like let me think how can i phrase this it's like a yin yang right Mm -hmm. one side means that there has to be the other side but they're part of a a single entity Mm. yeah which which i i will give it i will give it props for being able to pull that off because a lot of games are one-sided but Mm. then it also makes it easier to say hey no you see this one side, this is the awesome part, and everyone agrees. Mm. <laughs> there are a lot of people, I, I remember I had friends growing up who they were very much on just that one side, Like, and even I fell victim to it a little bit as well. There were some, some scenes that I was just like, okay, I don't care about this, I just want to get to the world map and you know keep carrying along in the story. Yeah. Uh, but I think now that I'm older and I'm replaying some of those, I'm starting to see that those, a lot of those scenes are actually kind of foreshadowing certain things or building up to something. Mm. Exactly. So there are things that may seem, you know, maybe parts that are not wacky that don't seem to fit at the time. That seem unnecessary. When you look back, you realize, like, even though you didn't get it maybe at the time or you didn't like it at the time, it's in you and it adds to what you remember. Right, right. Um, So, and I bet that really, I bet this game is amazing and probably very different to play a second time. Mm. Um, but I'm curious about this. Uh, is this a game that you played the first time around, like with a strategy guy by your side? I did not. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. You know, it's a funny story about how I actually got into this game. I, I bought a PS one jet moto and <laughs> crash bandicoot. All right. The good fix. And yeah. I played I played them until I was like, okay, like basically that syndrome I talked about earlier was like, okay, I'm tired of getting my little man from here to there Mm. or my vehicle from here to there. And then I was like digging through the packaging that my PS1 came in and there was a demo disc for Final Fantasy VII. And I was like, you know what? I'm an adolescent who has all the time in the world. I'm going to put this in and give it an honest try. Mm -hmm. And I did. And like, I went through some kind of like enlightenment process where at first I was like, this is bullshit. Why are there all these numbers? None of this makes any goddamn sense. <laughs> Why can't I, like, jump? Where's the attack button? But then, I, like, I couldn't get just how different it was from anything else I'd experienced out mm. of my head. So I just had to just, like, I kind of did what I did with Monster Hunter, where I was like, okay, no, you're going to make yourself understand this. Mm-hmm. going to go and, through the deep dive. Right. And I think when you do that, you know, you, you're more invested and and like you come out on the other side with like this this whole new world in your head kind of like this whole new appreciation but this was well after the everyone else in the world had had been like oh you got to get this game Mm. and everybody already owned it and i couldn't find it anywhere in stores or anything i could not find it used or new apparently everybody was just like they had their copy and they were going to like be buried with it Mm mm-hmm so um, I, I wasn't even there for, like, the crest of its popularity. It was well after the fact. And, and it was basically just me, the game. And I actually did have a Game Shark, but I didn't start playing around with the Game Shark until after I had, like, thoroughly beaten it. Mm. Huh. Um, but no, I didn't have a guide. I think I just figured out a lot of stuff through sheer time and, like, continuous replays. Okay. Because I, I had a feeling that there was definitely an era where it was like, here, here's the game. And at the counter is a strategy guide for whatever game you just mm. came to the store to pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of games were designed around that with just a lot of obtuse, just really like, no, you couldn't figure this out without the strategy guide kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot unless, of systems. I, I, yeah. Unless you're like, I remember crazy frame counter type people who look in hex code and be like, Oh, Hey, wait, here's something I can play with. I think it's a one of the most frustrating feelings in video games is uh, when you're playing a JRPG and you've just witnessed some kind of scene and then 
you don't understand where you're supposed to go next, mm-hmm. and you just talk to NPCs, try to recreate something that will tell you where to go. And I remember that happening a lot. Uh, but it was the kind of thing that uh, I ended up getting like a friend of mine into the game too. He got a copy, and then we would like talk on the phone and be like, "Okay, well, I'm at this part." And the last thing I did was um, find Yuffie. She was hiding in the pot. And he's like, "Oh, now you got to go." go back to that, that temple and the door will be open and then if you ring the gong you can go in this door that appears. I was like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, so that, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Okay, so you didn't have a strategy guide, you had a person who was a strategy guide. Well, no, it was like, it was like a, a process, kind of like, you know, in the schoolyard when you would just like mm-hmm. talk games and yeah, yeah. work things out together, yeah. I heard Mew was under the truck. That, that sort of reminds me of what people always <laughs> talk about around Dark Souls, sort of that first month zeitgeist exactly. of, you know, oh, well, I went, I I went to this area and there was this enemy here and I've got no idea how to fucking get past him. It's like, oh, well, if you get the magic shield upgrade, then you can, you know, mm-hmm. block his projectiles and then you can get through. And it's like, that's not actually a thing in Dark Souls. I don't know why I pulled that out. Yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> I wonder if that almost makes me wonder, like, if there is like a a gap in the fan base for Dark Souls based on whether, as a kid, you were able to afford strategy guides with your new games, or if you just got them as like mm. presents from somebody who didn't think to buy one too, and so that's when you got that schoolyard advice mm. circles. I love that schoolyard advice stuff. Yeah, yeah, I missed that. MK two. We should. We can let's start a, a Kickstarter, right? Okay. To fund, I don't know, just some kind of public building where you can go to and swap stories about video games. How about a library? <laughs> if you take off the video games, that is literally what you do. No, you can't talk in the library. But you swap stories. No, I need like a weird room in the basement <laughs> annex of the local community center where like 30 and 40 something dudes can come and be like, so, did you get to, like, Chapter 7 in Mordor or whatever? <laughs> I don't like the sound of this anymore. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> that, that, it sounds like a, a like an internet where people don't hate each other. No, they do, you know? but you can see their face if they keep it quiet. Uh, and maybe they do, but they're brought together by necessity, because they need to know how to get Mew out from under that goddamn truck. <laughs> Gotta use strength. <laughs> I had one other thing. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. Looking towards the future. Um, yes. We are so separated from this game. And we have had a couple of like side story things. Do you think there's going to be any changes made for the remake in the script or in the scenes or, or anything like that to try and incorporate, I guess specifically like crisis core stuff to just bring it uh, more up front or like maybe if there was any sort of subtle retconning to maybe bring that in line or uh, I mean I would hope not like I said I, I consider those to just be like the bastard children of the series but I, I would not say that it's something that I think won't definitely won't happen mm-hmm. knowing square they probably I could I could see them being like hey you know that one weird looking guy in um the Vincent game that uh we, we got to work him in here mm-hmm. because cuz it'd be a fun nod to that game i could definitely see like if you do this one side quest that's really long and you can't complete to like 3 quarters through you get an equipable advent children costume ah uh, no you get they'll the, make that dlc probably you get the crazy uh. sword that splits into 16 other swords and a motorcycle <laughs> Well, you get Omni Slash. I thought that was already a thing in Seven. No, in, in Omni Slash, he had like a Buster Sword that was made of twenty different swords. Yeah, I don't know. I think Omni Slash, he just literally swings the sword like twelve times. Huh. Yeah, he just attacks really fast. Yeah, but what if every swing was a different sword? Whoa! It's just speed of light. Yeah, like what if it's like that movie, the dude with the twelve swords? So going back <laughs> for a second, I almost like. <laughs> Like I said, I, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with the side games, but I almost kind of see a value if they do like consider parts of those stories to be important to the Final Fantasy like core story, to try to reintroduce them so that they are part of the core experience rather than, you know, sort of this side story. Oh well, if you want to know more about that character, you can play his game, sort of thing. Like I almost uh, see, I do see some value in them sort of consolidating it if they think that you know there is value there to the core story. 
But yeah, like if you say they are just sort of these sort of bastard children side story, we made these games because we knew that people would buy them sorts of things, then eh, take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean, now that, I, now that I'm hearing you repeat the whole thing that I said how they're like the bastardized children of the game, like I do feel a little bad in that because I know a lot of people really liked Crisis Core and I think it, it did also kind of fill in some of the early parts of the game, albeit while making it more, a little more Nomura-esque. Mm-hmm. Like really his signature is strong with that game. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know what the best approach would be, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really hoping against the odds, I think, that it is going to be as close as possible to the original game. Um, which I think didn't, like I said, didn't necessitate anything beyond that. Do you think there's maybe any changes or revisions they should make? Hmm. Uh, aside from, I was actually looking at like, just, I was reading up a little bit on, like I said, parts that, so it's, again, sort of like the idea that like parts of this game are incomplete or broken. And just like some of the screenshots that came with those are just like lines that don't mean anything because they're translated so badly. It's just like, well, like, okay, does that leave you room to interpret? Or, like, what are they going to make those mean eventually? But it's just, I don't know, like, at some point, if you fix those and give them a specific translation, then they're, like, going to change meanings in a lot of ways. So it's like, I don't know, Mm. what do you want to do in some of these cases? Mm. How do you want to fix things? Do you want to build something that matches the memories that people built or something that's, trying to be honest to what it was. Listen, how do you vote on the Constitution? I bet they do something like they sort of lampshade some of the bad translation lines. Like, I bet, you know, you find that dude in the gutter or whatever, and he's like, this guy are sick. (laughs) Haha, just kidding. Seriously, though, help me get to a hospital. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that really, like, with with a remake, that's not too big of an issue, because I'm sure it's going to be a new script. Mm -hmm. And also... I mean, maybe I need to look into this myself because I'll be honest, I haven't. But I can't imagine that the the typos or whatever that exist were really like all that breaking to the overall story. I don't know if you could, if there's anything in particular you can remember that. Not really. It, it's just one of those things where, like, I remember what I was like. Oh, I think this is supposed to be an emotional scene, but I don't understand what that guy was trying to say. And it's just like uh, I feel like in the time I played, that happened a couple of times. Mm. But maybe that was just sort of that same idea of like, well, in hindsight, this will make perfect sense right now. It's meaningless, but I didn't, yeah, I, mean, I didn't get the hindsight the... to know if that's translation or mm. foreshadowing, which I, I don't know what it says. If you can confuse those two so easily, <laughs> if you can, confuse those, two if I can confuse those so easily, that says something <laughs> different as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, do you have any other, I don't know, questions or anything, Nick? I think, no, I'm, still shocked that I'm satisfied. Roy, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, hmm. I guess if, you, if you're listening to this and you've ever played the game and you're like debating whether or not you should, like, definitely go into it. Try to go into it with as open mind as possible because you're bringing a lot of history mm. with you when you do that. It's like, it's really hard not to think about, oh, this is the game that all this other shit came from. Really, just like approach it like it's just a totally new experience, um, and be patient because this is from a you know a time when games were a lot different, mm. a lot more different than they are now. It was they were geared towards a different audience? I mean, it is nearly like a twenty-year-old game. God. Came out right. in ninety-seven, right? Um, I, no, yeah, I I would actually go back and check it out now, knowing that go in expecting zaniness but then when you're done you'll have remembered all the sort of dramatic parts it's like that's that I f- that's a good caveat as well because like again when i had heard about it i heard about it from people who had beaten it so i heard a story about a dramatic game and then never saw it so mm. Mm. yeah honestly the game's been kind of on my i should you know play this at some point this is important to people this is important to games in general but like especially now i just don't have the time for it right yeah. But also that's like in context. So maybe at this mm. point you've heard the stories and that's all you need at this point in time. Perhaps Go play something else, play a better final fantasy game. I also just, well, <laughs> although then that's going to be a whole new argument. So now let's... <laughs> I, 
Um, the Final Fantasy game of that era that I did get into was Final Fantasy VIII, which is in many ways indefensible. I don't know. See, that I got in. Weird. I got into Final Fantasy IX, which in many ways had a kid with a tail. <laughs> I think. See, I think he's like the worst protagonist of the PS1 era in Final Fantasies. Really, the tail kid? Well, but, yeah, Zidane. Uh, that's just could have been like, his he, name. Yeah. Oh, did you name? Did you straight up name him Tail Kid? No, I. Tail and some, oh, okay. I always rename my character to something else. Ah. Uh, Which? Yeah, I don't know. He just like his only joke was "I'm a womanizer." <laughs> like it just that was that was it. Yeah. Well, it it almost becomes like the Final Fantasy twelve thing. It wasn't really a story about him until you start right. learning that he is from the Cat Kid dimension. Like yeah. it's actually a story about like, hey, the princess wants to go do good and do actions. And then you crash an airship into an opera. That is a game where things happen in the present. <laughs> why I like yeah, it. Yeah, I do I do love like all the other characters in the world and like yeah, nine's a great game. They're all great games. I even I like eight. When I first played it, right after seven, I was like, What the fuck is this shit? But when I revisited it later, I came to appreciate it for what it was, which is like kind of a bold step away from uh the Final Fantasy as a norm. Mm. I, that, I I that's a whole new kettle of fish though. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, we should probably stop <laughs> Okay, no going down. I realize I do have one last question and this is still related. So for some reason I have a second Final <laughs> Fantasy VII black label. He just pulled it out. It's right here. But it's Whoa. just the case. So if I were to sell this on eBay, which other Final Fantasy game would be most insulting to put in here? <laughs> Uh, I would say, I mean, speaking for myself, if you could find three copies of Final Fantasy Thirteen Two, I would put <laughs> just three copies of that in there. I think okay. Uh, Lightning returns again. Final and Fantasy Eleven, the the first MMO, did that come out on consoles? Oh, it did. It was on PS Two. Yeah. You needed the hard drive for it. Okay, I think if you if you find however many discs that was and slap them in there, that would be good. Oh, that's a pretty there's, good idea. There's a lot of options there. Yeah. Or just, like, put Fantasy Star in there. <laughs> Ooh. No, I hear Fantasy Star's all right. Yeah, so you can win hearts and minds. Oh. This person's like, I'm going to play some Final Fantasy. And they're like, hold up, hold up, hold up, though. Have you considered? No, I want to try to make somebody so mad that they get a coronary. Oh. Okay. No, so that they get a canary out of anger. I don't know how that works. Okay. That's the worst joke I've ever told. <laughs> Roy, thank you so much for being with us here today. Do you have anything to plug before we wrap up? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, you got my blog. Um, I'm on Twitter, at, at Kotawari. Please follow me. I'll follow you back if you're cool. Um, I've got uh, Patreon, which I'll have to give you the link to because I don't know it off the top of my head. Absolutely. Okay. I'll stick it in show notes if people want to come to the page and look at it. And also, um, I want to plug, there's, it's actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's like JRPG July right now, which is this, um, this event that, um, the author of Chick Pixel has, has kind of started on her own. Her name's Anne. She's really cool. Mm -hmm. I've seen the hashtag, Um, but I'm not familiar with the event. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the long and short of it is that you play a JRPG this month and you just tweet your thoughts using the hashtag, uh, so it's kind of, it's been really cool because I'm, you know, because of it, I'm replaying Final Fantasy VII. So it's making me revisit this, uh, this game and like giving me like all these feelings about how like I, the kind of, uh, enjoyment I used to get out of games, mm. um, that, that, you know, I didn't realize, but I'm not getting in the same ways. So, uh, definitely check out her blog and, uh, please participate, dust off your favorite JRPG and join us. Going to replay Chrono Cross, Nick? Actually, um... <laughs> I'm uh, actually um, uh, a young go-getter by the name of Griffin McElroy keeps making reference to I want to say it's Illusion of Gaia. That's a very good game. Which it sounds like something that I could actually get into because mm. um, I, I don't know. As long as it's not a line fighter, I can stick with it. That's the, the thing that just shuts me down completely. I should finish twelve. Is what I should do. And I then, never finished 12 either. And then give me my copy back so that I can play 12. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So 
If you would like to find the show notes for the show, it can be found on our page at elitecoolstudios.net slash podcast slash late night, where you can find the rest of our episodes. Uh, if there's anything you would like to say to us, any kind of feedback, you can find us on Twitter at Aliku or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Aliku. Uh, you can find us in the iTunes store, or it'd be really cool if you could give us a rating and a review. And uh, I think it's breakfast time, so I can't remember anything else. So uh, we're going to do it. Roy, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, oh, thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, I've seen Nick butt his head against games that he doesn't understand why he doesn't like them and never got satisfaction from it. So this is kind of eye-opening to see him actually click on something yeah so well i'm touched you're a fantastic guest you have imparted knowledge you lived up yeah you truly lived up to your reputation as an expert (laughs) oh thank goodness i was really worried about that now i can relax uh all right so yeah uh we will talk to you all next time uh and until then take care of each other take it easy folks bye Mm -hmm.